This is Dr. Catherine Meeks from the Center for Racial Healing, having the wonderful opportunity to talk some today with Bishop Barbara Harris on the occasion of launching the Barbara Harris Justice Project for the Center for Racial Healing. And it's been such a joy just to spend this kind of time with you, Bishop Barbara. And even though I've met you before, never really had a chance to have a conversation or to get into anything beyond just kind of pleasantries. So this is such a wonderful day for me, for you to be here. And thank you so much again for allowing us to honor you by naming our project after you, because it will really be good for us to have such a project to go out into the world with. Well, it is an honor and a privilege for me to be here and to have this uh bestowed upon me uh, something I certainly never would have anticipated and uh, it is, a, it is a, a joy and an honor almost beyond expression. Well, I'm so glad that it's a good thing too. And I wonder if you could just tell our audience a little bit about your own journey as a as a woman of faith and as a black woman of faith and as a woman who went from being a priest in the um, Episcopal Church and I think probably a lot of other jobs before that to becoming the first woman bishop. Could just say a little bit about what that journey was like for you. Well, I grew up in the church and uh, it's been a, a really continuous journey. I was confirmed when I was 11 years old, and uh, at the end of my confirmation service, the recessional hymn was, Go Forward, Christian Soldier, Beneath His Banner True. The Lord Himself, Thy Leader, Will All Thy Foes Subdue. And I thought, nothing could harm me in this Christian journey. I felt empowered at age 11, and uh, I think that sense of empowerment has uh, been with me throughout my journey. I aspired early on to be what we used to call a perpetual deacon. Mm-hmm. They now, we, we now refer to them as vocational deacons. And I was convinced by two mentors that I really was called to priesthood, and that was then became my aspiration And uh, as I was ordained priest, of course, never dreamed of uh, the episcopate because certainly at that time we had no women bishops or no dreams of women bishops. I say no dreams of women bishops because I I think uh, we just uh, certainly were getting women into the priesthood. And uh, it was my honor and privilege to be the crucifer at the irregular ordinations 
of the first women bishops, I mean, first women priests mm-hmm. in the church, which took place in my parish in Philadelphia. Uh, and uh, we, we certainly did not even envision women as bishops then. Yes, and what a wonderful... A thing to witness in your lifetime. Absolutely. To, to see things go from where it wasn't even something you would even think was possible, maybe, to actually seeing it happen. Yeah. And before you became um, a perpetual deacon, you worked in the secular world as a as in um, advertising. I was in the field of public relations. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> for many, many years... And I, I, well, I did not become a, a, a vocational deacon. I became a transitional mm-hmm. deacon for one year before I was was priested mm-hmm. uh, in nineteen eighty nine. I believe nineteen seventy nine. I believe it was. And and if people haven't read your book, Hallelujah, anyhow, they won't know your story about the circumstances around your consecration and kind of some of the challenges that you had because you were a woman and also a black woman. Can you say a little bit about some of that? Well, I received a call after a conference that was held at the Episcopal Divinity School in Cambridge, where at the time I was uh, a trustee, mm-hmm. and uh, I was asked if I would allow that the, the conference was on <laughs> women in the episcopate, and I was asked at the close of that conference if I would allow my name to go in for the uh, uh, nomination of a. Uh, uh, for a suffragan mm-hmm. bishop of the Diocese of Massachusetts. And I thought to myself, well, nothing's going to come of it, so <laughs> allow, I'll allow my name to go in, and it will be interesting <laughs> to see how it's disposed of because <laughs> I was relatively certain that I would never uh, be nominated, but simply let my name be considered. And so I said yes. And when the slate of nominees was released and my name was on it, I thought to myself, well, this isn't going any place, but uh, it's fun to be considered. And as I became one of the finalists and visited Massachusetts to meet with those who would be voting in the election, I thought, I'm never going to see these people again in life, <laughs> and so I can say exactly what is on my mind, which is what I did. And <laughs> after I was elected, people said to me, you were the nominee who gave us honest answers and did not tell us what you thought we wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. So, and God played a trick on you. Absolutely. <laughs> because you thought that it wouldn't 
going any place, and God had plans for you that were beyond your own imagination. Absolutely, yeah. and uh, that is one of the the joys of uh, being a Christian servant. That uh, God has things in store for you that you don't anticipate, but if you remain faithful to what you think is your calling, either ordained or lay, if you are faithful to the ministry and vocation which, uh, to which you feel called, God has wonderful surprises mm-hmm. in store for you. Well, I was really fascinated to learn that they wanted you to wear a bulletproof vest to your consecration because of the the fallout of around your being a woman and being a black woman being uh consecrated as a bishop and you chose not to do that. Yes, I I um I declined to wear a bulletproof vest. I thought if some fool is going to shoot me, what better place to die than at an altar? Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it seems to me that kind of goes back to your uh, 11-year-old girl courage and faith that, that followed you through your life up to that point that made you know that you could trust God to take care of you either way. Absolutely. Which is what faith is basically about, I think. So you've had a chance to see a lot of things change in the Episcopal Church. What, what are some of your thoughts about how, where we are now compared to where we were in terms of women and women being uh, empowered to, to be leaders in, in ways that, that we deserve to be? Well, certainly, I never dreamed that uh, women would serve as 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 bishops uh and it has uh been a, a wonderful experience to see women called to roles of which we never dreamed um it was certainly something to see women emerge as priest and then to be called and see other women called to roles uh, uh to the role of chief pastor and shepherd mm-hmm. has been an amazing kind of revelation of what God has in store if we remain faithful. Uh, Roles and ministries beyond our wildest dreams. Yes. Yes. And that's what it has been like to experience seeing women emerge as priests and as bishops. And just in the last uh, two or three years, I think, there's been uh, four or five uh, diocesan African-American women bishops. 
and which is, I know that Bishop ba- uh, Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs was the first, but then yes. in the in the last, I guess the last two or three years, we've done four more, which is really fascinating. Actually, we're uh, we now have, um, I believe, seven. Five, five uh, black women as diocesans, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a, 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 a total of seven black women bishops, mm-hmm. but then we also uh, have experienced... Uh, a number of elections of women, white women as well. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly been fascinating to see five black women emerge as diocesan bishops. Well, and that, that's encouraging. And uh, I wonder, as you think ahead, you know, you see that those things have changed. But as you think about what you know and where you've been and, and how things have, the pace at which things have changed. Do you, what thoughts do you have about the future? Where do you think we're going to go? I would think that um, women, clergy ought to hold themselves open to unexpected uh, calls for leadership in the church, given what we have experienced in in recent months Mm -hmm. and recent years, that uh, hold yourself open because you never really know what God's call might be and be ready to enthusiastically respond to whatever that call might become. And that that attitude and that idea so sums up the title of your book, Hallelujah Anyhow. I just thought that the the title was so wonderful because it sort of summarizes how you need to stand in the world no matter what happens. You kind of affirm that God is God and God is bigger than whatever those circumstances are. Absolutely. That title comes from... uh, a gospel song of the same name, Hallelujah, Anyhow. Mm-hmm. And it says, Hallelujah, Anyhow, never let your troubles get you down. <laughs> when you're feeling down and out, throw your hands up high and shout, Hallelujah, Anyhow. And it goes on to end because I'm wrapped up tied up, tangled up in Jesus, singing hallelujah anyhow. Oh, that's so lovely. And I think that's a good place to stop. 
and thank you so much for the amazing spirit that you have allowed God to give to you to share with us on your long journey. And we are so thankful for you and for that way that you are in the world. Well, thank you for the work that you are doing in leading the center. And I thank God for the work of the center. Thank you. 